We are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. If you've been impacted by Fuel Church, share your story with us by emailing mystory at thefuelchurch.com. And to learn more about our worship experiences, visit our website at www.thefuelchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, I'm excited to step into part three of our series, When the Devil Knocks. Someone say, When the Devil Knocks. Oh, I got an exciting message. I, I don't plan on too many amens. I'll just tell you that right now. It's kind of one of those messages that hits you in the heart. All right, you ready for one of those messages? Come on, someone say, Holy Spirit, wreck my heart. Boom, there it is. You invited him in. You invited him in. So we've been looking at a series, When the Devil Knocks, and we're in part three, and we'll end our series today. But um, if you need to get caught up, check out the podcast. All the messages are available on the website or the app, and uh, you, you can do that. But we've been looking at exposing the plans and the purposes of the enemy for our lives because he has a vision. Someone say vision. He has a mission statement with your name on it. He, he, he's got some plans, and this is very important for us to understand because we are in a very real spiritual battle each and every day. Each and every day. And what we see with our eyes is not all there is. Did you hear me? We're in a spiritual battle. What we see with our eyes is not all that there is. There is a spiritual world that is unseen. There is things happening in the spiritual world. And and we've been looking at this verse that Paul wrote in Ephesians 6. And he talks about this spiritual battle. And he says, listen, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's, it's, It's not your neighbor. It's not your boss who you have a few words you want to give next week to him. A few gestures you would like to tell him. For the way he's been treating you and your coworker, it, That's not the battle. It's not your spouse. I know this week you called him the devil, but he is not the devil. Oh, come on now. And uh, so we have a, uh, an enemy who is out to kill, steal, and destroy our life. And we have these forces of darkness that try to defeat us. And in the Bible... It talks about this enemy. He's known as Satan or Lucifer, the prince of darkness, the father of lies, the evil one, the deceiver, the accuser, the destroyer. So it's not a matter of if he's going to attack. It's a matter of he's already attacking our lives. He's already coming at you and I. And he will not stop in his relentless attacks on our lives. Why? Because his mission is very simple. I want to kill, steal, and destroy. I want to kill, steal, and destroy their families. I want to kill, steal, and destroy their marriages, their finances, their kids. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy our minds, our callings. Why? He is a thief. He's a thief. And what do thieves do? They steal. So he's coming after your joy. He's coming after your peace. He wants to steal it. 
Every day he's coming after your mind. He wants to steal the peace that God gives us in our minds. He wants to steal our finances. He wants to steal our kids. He wants to steal our relationships, our health. And his ultimate plan is this, friends, to kill your relationship with Jesus Christ. He really doesn't mind that you come here. He really doesn't mind that you occupy a space every single Sunday. What he minds is when you take this and apply it to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and you have a relationship with Jesus, that's when you get on the devil's hit list. That's when he comes knocking. Because the truth of the matter is you can come here every Sunday and check your little religious box and be fine. And you're our, you are no threat to the devil. But when you take this relationship serious, like it's not just a Sunday thing. Like this is every day. I need God. I need God in my life. And I, I want to become a better follower of Jesus Christ. Then he will attack everything that is connected to God. Why? He hates when you and I grow spiritually. He hates when, that, that you're sitting in this place today. He tried every excuse to keep you from coming today, didn't he? He told you to sleep in, right? I don't worry about it. It's holiday weekend. You can roast your own weenies. You get your own ice cream, right? He tried everything because he doesn't like you here in this house hearing God's word because your faith grows, your faith is built, your faith gets stronger when you hear God's word. And it is our faith that pleases God. It is our faith that moves God. Are you hearing me today? He, he doesn't like that you're sitting here. He doesn't like that you're taking your next steps in following God. He doesn't like that some of you are stepping out and getting baptized here in a few weeks. He doesn't like to hear that. He doesn't like that some of you are signing up for next steps. He doesn't like to hear about this because he hates it when our faith is growing and he hates it when our trust in God is growing more in our God than in this world system. Hmm? Have I convinced you enough that the devil hates your guts? So what do we need to know? What do we need to do? Well, 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Peter says, stay alert. What does he say? Wake up. Someone say, wake up. Watch out for your great enemy. You have a great enemy. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Do you see this, church? Peter's saying, listen, stay alert. Stay alert. How much more should we stay alert when we see the day of Christ approaching? When we see biblical references of the end time unfolding before our eyes, how much more should we stay alert? How much more should we be awake knowing that our great enemy, you have a great enemy, the devil, is coming around like a roaring lion. Notice it doesn't say he is a roaring lion. He's just imposing that he is a roaring lion. He ain't got no power. The only power the enemy has is the power that you give him. He was defeated at the cross. Jesus defeated him. He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Jesus went to hell. Do you know that? Jesus went to hell so you don't have to. Oh, I can't get no help in 11 o'clock. 
Jesus went to hell so you didn't have to. And he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Why? Saying, you don't need the keys because you're not going to go there. Come on now. So he goes around like a roaring lion. And what's he doing? Looking. You ever watch the National Geographic Channel? You ever see the lions? And they're in the grass and they're looking. Whether they're looking at the, the zebras and they're looking at all the animals drinking out of the little lake there. And they're just looking and they're watching. What are they watching for? I'm looking for the weakest link. Who can I find that is weak? Who can I find has a hurt leg? Who can I find that's a little slower? Who can I find that's not alert? Who can I find that isn't applying the word of God? Who can I find that's just playing around with church? Who can I find that is, is caught up in themselves? Who can I find? He, he's looking, looking for someone to devour. Hmm? Well, I just thought when I got saved that all my problems would go away. <laughs> that's the funniest thing I heard all day. Actually, you have more problems now, but you have the answer to the problems living inside of you. Oh, come on now. That's good news. You have the answer. Stay alert. So what we've looked at so far, week number one, just to recap real quick, we've seen that Satan is the what? Deceiver who attacks our minds with lies. Week number two, we've seen that Satan is the what? Accuser who targets our heart with accusations. Today, I want to look at this thought that Satan is the destroyer who targets your will with pride. Satan is the destroyer who targets your will with pride. You see, I used to think that Satan would only attack me at my weakness, and he does. But I've come to realize as I've grown in the faith that he not only will attack me at my weakness, but he will also attack me at the point of my strength. And I want to talk about this today. I want to talk about this. Because he doesn't just kick you when you're down, but he tries to get you when you're at the top. He tries to get you when you're at the top of the mountain to knock you off to get you back down into the valley. He, he, he tries to attack us when we're least aware and the most vulnerable state because everything is going good in my life and things with God are good and things in my marriage are going better and finances have all worked out and I got that promotion and things are going great. And that's when he likes to attack, when we're most vulnerable. At the peak of our lives, at the highlight defining moments of life, the enemy wants to attack us. He wants to come at us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And here's kind of how he attacks us in our pride. Because you can be proud and not prideful. You should be proud of what you've achieved, right? Some of you have degrees, more degrees than the thermometer. Come on, somebody. Some of you got more degrees. I can't even keep up with your degrees. I'm like, I lost count. I flunked algebra. Anyway. I know that's addition, but work with me. <laughs> and you should be proud. You worked hard. You climbed the corporate ladder. You've, you've, you have your own business. and it's, You should be proud. But what we got to guard against is when our, our, uh, us being proud turns into pride. Turns into pride, right? And so, so, so it, it, it kind of looks like this. You can get a promotion at work, 
after years of working hard, after years of being faithful to that business, to that boss, and the enemy comes in with his little whispering lies of pride and says, you know what? You did this all by yourself. You deserve this. You deserve this. You need to take all the credit. You need to take all the praise for this. This is all you. You did this, right? Or you could finally be in a position to get in that new house. In all your life, you worked hard to get that house. You never had a house like that growing up. You never had a car like that. Your car was held together with Christian bumper stickers. But now you have a car that actually turns over on the first turn. I've been there. I've been there. And then all of a sudden, the enemy whispers in your mind, oh, you're so much better than others now. Look at you. Can you believe them? Can you believe that they live that way? Can you believe that they drive that? Can you believe their outfits? Can you believe their hairdo? You're so much better than them. You're like in a category all by yourself. And we begin to look down on others because of our financial status. I didn't mean to talk about you, but we're there, so let's go. (laughs) This is something I deal with on a weekly basis, church, and most pastors do. Because it's very easy for the enemy to whisper these lies of pride into my mind saying, look at this church. Look what has happened. Look at the growth. Look at all this. You did all this. He would love for me to take the glory and not give it to God. So it's a battle that I face personally all the time. The moment I step off this stage, it's a battle that I face. And I have some things set up in my life that I do to diffuse that. Amen? And so, so, so... The enemy would love for us to get prideful and to take the glory for the things God has done in our life. And this is how Satan posed a strategic attack against a man named King David. At the height of his popularity and power, he came at King David with this sin of pride. Someone say the sin of pride. pride. Let me give you a little background on David. You remember David, right? Taking care of the sheep. For his daddy, while his brothers were out being trained for battle, while his brothers were going through the greatest military training ever in Israel, and here little teenage David, the youngest of eight brothers, is sitting there taking care of the sheep. All his other brothers are buff and tough. All his other brothers are armed with the greatest weapons they had of those days, and here's David just cleaning up the sheep poop, just another day cleaning up poop. Have you felt like your day was another day cleaning up poop? Some of the moms are like, yep, every day. (laughs) And that's just for your husband. Anyway, here David is. And David gets a call from dad. And dad says, hey, David, I need you to take a break from the sheep. And I need you to go take your brother's ham and cheese sandwiches. Come on now. He says, they're out here. There's this Goliath. And they're in battle. And this Goliath's attacking them. And I need you to take lunch to them. David shows up to the scene and sees this nine-foot Some old Goliath, this ugly-looking dude, yelling and defying his God. And he's looking around at his brothers. He's looking around at the uh, army of Israel saying, what are you guys doing here? Why are you allowing him to defy our God? And they're all scared. They're running. And and David's like, listen, I'm going to do something about this. And they're like, no, you're not going to do anything. You're just a little pimple-faced teenage boy taking care of daddy's sheep. Just, just go back to the sheep, as one brother told him. Don't worry about it, David. 
Quit trying to be all prideful. Quit trying to think like you're the man. And David said, no, not on my watch. He's not going to defy my God. He ends up taking some stones and he puts them in his pocket and he goes up with this slingshot. And the story goes, he took out one stone and went in the forehead of Goliath and he fell. Within a moment, David goes from cleaning up sheep to being reigned as the heavyweight champion of the world. To his picture being on every teenage girl's poster in her room. Here David is. He's a national sensation. Popularity took over. He killed the giant. He's anointed as king of Israel. And he is at the height of his popularity. Everybody knows who he is. I mean, he's so big that the women were writing songs about his power and might. The women were sketching out songs. I mean, my wife has never written any of those songs about me. I'm waiting for him. After Sunday, I get done preaching. I pull my, I'm waiting for her to write a song about how good my message. I'm just kidding, folks. Maybe one day she'll write it. But here they are writing songs about his might and power. The greatest king. And, and he's got all this power. All, he was at the top of his game. He was at the top of his game. Everything seemed to be going amazing. And then 1 Samuel 11 shows up in our Bible. And tells a story about a king named David who was supposed to be at battle, but he stayed home. You see, when you're not at the place you're supposed to be, it's always an invitation for the enemy to come in and knock on your door. And actually kick open your door. That's why it's important to be at the place you're supposed to be at when you're supposed to be at that place. But the enemy sowed seeds into his mind. He stays home from battle, all the kings, all the armies in battle, but David stays home. Because he stayed home, he sees a woman on the rooftop, and because he seen a woman, he told his servant, go and get her. He commits adultery, not only commits adultery, but gets her pregnant, not only gets her pregnant, once he finds that out, he has her husband, Uriah, killed. Actually, four people end up dying because of his sin. What was his sin? Was it the adultery? Yeah. Was it killing? Yes. But the sin that showed up in David's life, first and foremost, was the sin of pride. Pride. And it's most likely one of our greatest struggles, if we're to be honest in here. And at times, it'll try to come and attach itself to our hearts. See, his pride kept him home when he should have been at battle. His pride led him to lust after that woman. His pride led him to murder her husband. His pride. The devil didn't care that David was humble for a season. He knew if he could just get him to start thinking small thoughts, small little increment thoughts that God was smaller and that he was bigger than God, then he would get him to fall to pride. He knew if he could just get him to think that God was getting smaller and he was getting bigger, that he would win this battle. David is under this illusion that he is fine. And if we were to be honest, at times we live under the illusion that I don't deal with pride. Usually when you don't think you have any pride, you do. I didn't mean to talk about you, but we're there, so let's stay there. I'll make it up for lemonade afterwards. It tries to creep its ugly head up into our lives every single day. 
Pride is so difficult to see in the mirror. It's very easy to see in other people. I said pride is so difficult to see in the mirror, but it's easy to locate it in other people. Thank God David had a friend who pointed it out to him. And let me just pause right here and tell you, you need at least one or two people who can tell you your stuff stinks. Did I say that? Yeah, I did. Like, you, you need to switch this attitude. Like, there's something going on. What's going on? Let's real talk it. You need a few people. I said a few. If you don't have a relationship with them, it's only found in the context of relationship, by the way. So don't go over here and try to tell my wife her stuff stinks. <laughs> Because you ain't in relationship with her like that. And don't do that about anybody in this church. But in the context of relationship, you have a deeper relationship where someone is mentoring you who is spiritually at another level than you. You need to allow them to speak into your life and tell you when they see pride. Do you have those people in your life? Some of you don't want those people because you know you got pride. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. That's the problem. You You know, it's amazing in church how many people are like, I'm not letting nobody in church tell me what to do. I'm going to sit wherever I want, and them ushers can just stick it. We know. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live however, and you can. But God does set up authority in the church, and he sets up elders and leaders to, to help you on the journey. Now, you can either take that help or not, but some people are so prideful they won't take the help. Some people are so prideful about their image and their, 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 their reputation Ain't nobody telling me what to do. Well, that's the problem. We don't want to submit to God-given authority. Getting quiet up in this Presbyterian church. He had a friend who said, you're wrong. Thank God for Nathan, his friend, who called him out on it. David repented and wrote Psalms 51, one of the greatest psalms ever written, a psalm of repentance for the sin of pride. You ought to read it sometimes. It's a powerful psalm. So here's what I need you to know about the deadly sin of pride. You may never be more vulnerable than when you are full of pride. You may never be more vulnerable, think about it, than when you are full of pride. Vulnerable to fall. Vulnerable to make a bad decision that could affect you for the rest of your life. You're at the mountaintop, you're vulnerable. Not just in your weak moments is the enemy going to attack, but he's going to hit you when you're on top. When everything seems to go right, you have that week that everything goes right. You have that three consecutive days that goes right. You have that one day that goes right. You have that four hours. Okay. You have that one minute. (laughs) I'm trying to get everybody. (laughs) You're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride precedes destruction and an arrogant spirit appears before a fall. Pride precedes, it goes before. Someone say before. Pride goes before. You're walking around, you got pride, then all of a sudden, boom, destruction. You're walking around with pride, I'm all that and a bag of Cheetos. Come on, somebody, with a Mountain Dew on the side. I'm all that, I did this, I deserve this. You're title-driven. There's leaders that are title-driven and not servant-driven. I did this. I'm the leader here. I'm in charge here. And all of a sudden, you're walking around with pride, and boom, destruction hits. Pride goes before. Pride goes before. Pride goes before, and an arrogant spirit appears before a fall. You ever countered somebody who was uh, power-tripping? 
Like I, I, I love, I love, um, I love the little guys in the mall that are on the segways, but they be power tripping <laughs> because someone spilled a Coca Cola in the in the mall hallway, right? <laughs> they be power tripping. You ever seen Mall Cop? <laughs> I love that movie. Both of them. Oh, don't judge me. You watched it too. I don't drink, but I do ride. <laughs> Go rent the movie. Pride is deadly. It can take you out of leadership. It can hurt your marriage. It can cause you to lose your credibility. It can ruin relationships. It can ruin your witness. Some of you will never have someone respond to the invite that you've given them at work because pride has ruined your witness. You walk around the plant, you walk around your, your, your place of employment like you're all that, like you're self-righteous, and they look at you and say, man, I don't want nothing to do with that. They say they go to that church, but man, they're so full of arrogance and pride, I'll never accept their invite. Ruins our witness when we walk in pride. I came to help you today. It's going to get better. Pride first, then destruction. Pride first, then destruction. David, pride first, then destruction. Pride first. I don't need to go to battle. I'm the man. I'm the king. I'm over this whole nation. Pride first, then destruction. Adultery, murder. Pride first, then destruction. We never play it out that way in our lives, but that's how it happens. Pride first, then destruction. And here's kind of how it plays out for some of us. We say things like this. Well, I would never do that sin. I can't believe they fell into that. I'm holier than that. Really? Be careful when you start saying you would never do that sin. Take heed, least you fall, the Bible says. Take heed, least you fall. Well, I'm just so good, I don't need anybody in my life telling me what to do. I don't need anyone. Man, it's just getting good. You're about to close me out? <laughs> See how he does that? He's like, shutting it down. I don't like this message. <laughs> Man, I guess I'm not the boss around here. Killed my pride. <laughs> I'm a self-made person. I worked hard for this. I grew this business. I built this house. I've provided for my family. I did this. I've earned everything. I've worked hard. And maybe you did. And God bless you. But can I tell you, sir, can I tell you, ma'am, it was the God of heaven and earth who put the breath in your lungs, who gave you the wisdom to get that education, to provide for your family, to make that money that you're making. Don't stop giving glory to God. Be proud of yourself, but don't be prideful of yourself. Be proud of yourself, but don't be prideful of yourself. Be proud of yourself, but don't get prideful. You're never more vulnerable than when we're full of pride. It may manifest like this. Well, I know I've got a problem, but I'm not telling anyone because I don't want them to know. It'll hurt my reputation. That's pride. I can't ask for help. I don't want the church knowing. I don't want my family knowing. I can't ask for help. Could it manifest like this? Who are you to tell me what to do? Or maybe like this. I'm not apologizing. It's not my fault. I'm not apologizing. It's not my fault. They hurt me. They did this. And they need to apologize to me. Sometimes, because of a hurt that someone did to us, we can swell up with pride. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you, 
apologize to them. And it could be the very thing that causes healing to take place in that relationship. But pride doesn't want you to apologize. We may never be more vulnerable than when we are full of pride. How does God feel towards the proud? James 4, 6, and 8 says this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He opposes. Someone say opposes. He opposes the proud, but he shows grace and favor to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. When you submit to God, then what does happen? Read it. You resist the devil. Why? Because now you have the power of God to resist him. Before it was just your own power. And let me tell you, you can't conquer anything in your life in your own power. You can't beat an addiction. You can't beat an attitude. You can't beat a mindset. You can't beat a poverty mentality on your own. you got to have the power of an almighty God to break strongholds, to destroy yokes and lift burdens. It is the anointing that destroys the yokes and lifts the burdens. That's the uh, presence of an almighty God that comes in. Hmm? I feel it right now. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. There's hope. If you've fallen into pride, there's hope. There's hope. Submit yourself to God. He'll come near to you. God never left you. You left God. David was found with God right beside him. The whole time he committed the sin of pride, the adultery, the murder. God never left him. He left God. But God says, hey, come back. Wash your hands. You sinned. I know we don't say that word in the church anymore, but you sinned. You sinned. Purify your hearts. You're double-minded. And I love this part, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. My God. I want to be found with a humble heart. And if I want to be found with a humble heart, I daily have to humble my heart before God. I daily have to say, God, I am nothing without you. I cannot be the father you've called me to be without you. I cannot be the husband. I cannot be the leader, the pastor you've called me. I need you. I humble my heart before you. I cannot do it in my own power. I will fail. This ship will sink if I try to do it on my own. But when I have the power of an almighty God, the Bible calls it dunamis power. It's like dynamite. When you have the power of an almighty God living in you and you trust and you rely on that, you can become all things through Christ. You can accomplish anything you put your mind to when you have the presence and power of an almighty God working through you. But it starts with submitting your pride to God. God, I give it to you. I can't do it. Total abandonment to self and total surrender to God that crushes pride and cultivates humility. Total abandonment. I can't do life without you, God. I can't parent. I can't pass. I can't do it. I can't go to my job. I can't do it. I can't be a grandma, a grandpa. I can't do it. I need you. I need you. I need you. C.S. Lewis says this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility isn't weakness, but it's strength. You show me a humble man or woman of God, I'll show you someone who's strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not their own might. 
You show me someone who's prideful, I'll show you someone who's believing and trusting in their own might and power, in their own wisdom, in their own strength. So we're in a spiritual battle, church, and the enemies come knocking. And he comes with deception, he comes with accusations, and he comes to be the destroyer. But we can defeat him, and we've learned that in this series. Through Ephesians 6, we have some spiritual weapons, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, shoes of peace, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We take our rightful place as God's child, and we speak the word. We speak the word when the devil knocks, when he knocks. We grab a hold of the word of God. That's why it's so important for you to read the word. That's why it's so important for you to be here every week because you're hearing the word and your faith is growing. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Hey, thanks for listening today. And maybe you're out there and maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. You've taken some wrong turns. You've messed up. I'm here to tell you about God's love for your life. You know, it's real and it's for you. And, And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God is there. His love is unconditional. And and the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And I just believe that if you say this prayer and mean it with your heart, the Bible says you're saved. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody about this decision. But just wherever you're at, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me. In Jesus' name. It's simple as that. And I encourage you to find a good local church. If If you can get to Fuel Church, get here. God is moving. God is doing some great things in the lives and families of the people that come here. But find a good church where you can grow in God. Until next time, God bless you. Have a great week.